Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 898. Farah Mansour on the Deep October Surprise, Part 3. This is being recorded on March 30th of the year 2016. As the title of the program indicates, we are uh, doing our third program uh, of a, a series, probably four in length, that are recapping and breaking down and analyzing some interviews I did with Farah, first name F-A-R-A, Mansour, M-A-N-S-O-O-R. I interviewed Farah in January of 1993 upon the occasion of George H.W. Bush leaving office in favor of Bill Clinton, this after 12 years of Reagan and Bush. The title, The Deep October Surprise, references a common conspiratorial myth called the October Surprise. What this maintains is that there was a deal cut between the Reagan-Bush campaign in 1980 in order to withhold the U.S. hostages that were taken from the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, until after Jimmy Carter's humiliation and consequent election defeat were assured. Uh, the concept of the October surprise is partially correct. There certainly was uh, the most profound collusion between the Reagan and Bush campaign in and the Khomeini forces in Iran in order to assure Jimmy Carter's uh, political destruction. However, that collusion was itself a direct outgrowth of a much more profound, much longer in terms of time operation, and one that has the most profound implications for today, because as Farah Mansour, a member of the Iranian resistance, has uh, set forth in chilling detail, uh, in fact, the CIA under George H.W. Bush, who became Reagan's vice presidential candidate, the man for whom CIA headquarters is named, the man who became the 40 first president of the U.S. in 1988, and whose son, George W. Bush, became the 43rd president of the U.S. in 2000. The CIA learned of the Shah's cancer in 1974 and withheld the information from Jimmy Carter when he was elected president on, in November of 1976. Uh, it should be known that, should be noted, I should say, that the collusion between the Reagan, uh, I should say, between the CIA under George Bush and the Shia Islamic fundamentalist forces in Iran under Khomeini, uh, again, dated from that time. The goal of the operation was to install the Khomeini forces in Iran as a, uh, a continuation of the two Shahs' reigns as a bulwark against the former Soviet Union. The first Shah of Iran was installed by the British as an anti-communist bulwark against the former Soviet Union on its southern flank. 
and then his son, Shah Mohammad Riza Pahlavi, uh, succeeded him as an anti-communist uh, bulwark. The goal also was to prevent the powerful Chudeh, that's T-U-D-E-H, Communist Party of Iran, from coming to power, and uh, perhaps above all else, uh, maybe not above all else, but uh, just as important, the goal was to destabilize Jimmy Carter's administration and to destroy Carter politically and to assure the ascension of the Reagan-Bush forces. All of those things were done. This operation represented, in addition to the domestic implementation of covert operation to control and destabilize American administrations, not unlike, among other things, the assassination of JFK. It also represented the use of what Peter Lavenda has termed weaponized religion, in this case weaponized Shiite Islam, as a vehicle for anti-communism and as a vehicle for implementing political reaction abroad. This also has profound implications for today. As I speak in late March of 2016, Hillary Clinton, uh, who may very well get the Democratic nomination, is, in my opinion, being actively destabilized using, among other things, actions that occurred when she was Secretary of State. I've never seen any... Well, no, that's not true. Uh, I think the propaganda being generated against Hillary Clinton, it's not to say she hasn't made mistakes, uh, is unlike, is as great as anything I have ever seen. And from the Benghazi affair, which was a direct outgrowth of the Arab Spring, just like the Syria war, the Arab Spring, as we looked at in the For the Record programs 533 through, uh, 733 through 739, was itself an op, so to speak, just like the use of the Afghan Mujahideen in Afghanistan against the former Soviet Union. The Arab Spring was to uh, remove some of the autocrats that were in power in the Middle East and replace them with Muslim Brotherhood governments, that is, weaponized Sunni Islam, both as an anti-communist or anti-socialist slash labor vehicle, and to implement... Uh, corporatist economics in that part of the world. So as we watch the 2016 campaign unfolding, bearing in mind how foreign covert operations using weaponized Islam were used to, among other things, destroy Jimmy Carter, uh, I think uh, the lessons to be learned from the deep October surprise are more than a little instructive. This is from Radio Free America, or uh, Anti-Fascist Archives, formerly Radio Free America, program number 38. Again, the interview that you are going to hear excerpted was from January of 1993. Uh, a couple of points of information. Uh, some background for younger listeners. The Shah of Iran was driven out of Iran by a populist uprising led by Mohammed, Mossadegh, M-O-S-S-A-D-E-G-H, in 1953. He was then reinstalled by a covert operation run primarily by the CIA with some assist from British intelligence. 
Mossadegh, who was not a communist, as was reported at the time, but who was a populist, had moved to nationalize the Anglo-American oil, the Anglo-Persian oil company, which later became British Petroleum, ultimately BP, the same company that was behind the Deepwater Horizon debacle in 2010. Uh, also, the Mossadegh government canceled a lucrative deal with American corporate interests that had been brokered by Sullivan and Cromwell, the powerful Wall Street law firm whose two most prominent members were Allen and John Foster Dulles, who at the time of the Mossadegh coup were respectively CIA director and secretary of state under Dwight Eisenhower. After Mossadegh, was removed, and after the Shah was reinstated, as you will hear in this program, a guy named Fazola, F-A-Z-O-L-L-A-H, Zahedi, Z-A-H-E-D-I, replaced Mossadegh as prime minister and later became head of the SAVAK, S-A-V-A-K, the Shah's deadly secret police force. Zahedi had been a German intelligence officer during World War II and was imprisoned in Egypt by the British. Later, like so many uh, Nazi intelligence officers, he became uh, a CIA agent in the Middle East. And, of course, we have spoken so many times about the incorporation and use of the Reinhard Galen spy outfit uh, as the, by the CIA. Uh, in the written description for this program, uh, there is a cast of characters. Uh, they are not names that are generally household words uh, because so many of these Iranian names are foreign to the American linguistic palette. I think the use of the description for, the, uh, for this program will be even more important than usual. The article that encompasses and details Farah Mansour's research was published by Harry Martin of the Napa Sentinel in his Free America publication of July 1st of 1995. The title of the article, The Real Iranian Hostage Story from the Files of Farah Mansour. A couple of uh, key excerpts of this. Uh, bearing in mind the Reagan-Bush campaign, Mansour produced a confidential document called the Country Team Minutes of April 26th of 1978, more than a year before the hostage crisis. The meeting was held in Iran. The second paragraph of the routine minutes states, The ambassador commented on our distinguished visitors Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and Margaret Thatcher, and commented that Tehran seems to be the site for an opposition party's congress. Mansour indicates that the entire relationship was probably the most sophisticated criminal act in recent history. That the people who until recently were holding power in Washington and those who currently are still in control in Tehran got there by totally subverting the democratic process of both countries is news. That their methods of subversion relied on kidnapping, extortion, and murder is criminal, Mansour states. Another key excerpt. The Shah of Iran was being actively destabilized, and he realized that. By late August of 1978, the Shah was totally confused. U.S. Ambassador to Iran William Sullivan recorded the, recorded the Shah's pleadings over the outbreak of violence. Quote, he said the pattern was widespread and that it was like an outbreak of a sudden rash in the country. 
It gave evidence of sophisticated planning and was not the work of spontaneous oppositionists. The Shah presented that it was the work of foreign intrigue. This intrigue went completely beyond the capabilities of the Soviet KGB and must, therefore, also involve British and American CIA. The Shah went on to ask, quote, Why was the CIA suddenly turning against him? What had he done to deserve this sort of action from the U.S.? You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. Long article-length descriptions of the For the Record programs are available at spitfirelist.com, also featuring information that wasn't in the original program due to the limitations of time. And uh, we're now going to hear from Farah Mansour from January of 1993. This, by the way, is deliberately overlapped with the excerpt of the interview in For the Record 897. Allow me to uh, clarify that. Mm -hmm. To begin with, many of the documents that I have uh, cited, it is coming from the uh, information that was provided in the series of books that was published by the so-called the, the Islamic student following the line of Imam Khomeini after the capture of the American embassy, which they came to the position of many of the uh, so-called, quote-unquote, American fires at the American embassy. Mm -hmm. And this has been made out to, to uh, quite a few books. I believe at this time is about 72 books that contains a tremendous amount of documents. This document, it actually has been printed out in one of the books, which is volume number 12, and uh, the, the, they are, each of these volumes have got, for instance, number one, number two, this is number two, and they can find these on page 94, and it says right on the top of it, Confidential Country Team Minutes is dated uh, 26 April 1978, and it's actually in uh, full page, and has got all the information because the U.S. Ambassador and some of his colleagues that they were involved with Iranian crisis or Iranian uh, issues, social political issues, they had a country team meeting that in those meetings there were quite a few uh, people involved and also because we talked about John D. Stemple in this uh, uh, communicates also is stated that Ambassador asked Dr. John D. Stemple about the Majlis, which is the Iranian parliament member who spoke up against the Tehran bombings. Dr. Stemple said that he was the same Godfly who presented their recent motion to uh, censure the government over, you know, another city, which it was Tabriz, is quite leng lengthy and is very, very compelling. And there are many other elements that, uh, or individuals that have been named that they were present in that meeting. So to be uh, sure that these documents uh, could be uh, accessible to the people, the serious researchers that they would like to look at, they can go and find this in many of the libraries at the uh, University of Berkeley. As a matter of fact, all these documents are at the National uh, Security Archives with Tom Blanton's. They can call him in Washington, D.C. and refer to these things and they can get it out of the uh, their data bank that they have. So this is not something that uh, it is 
somebody sitting down there and creating. This is a legitimate and genuine document. Right. Well, again, the, my comments were in no way to, to cast aspersions on what you're saying, but rather I think the, the importance of what you're saying couldn't be exaggerated, and uh, the work that you and your colleagues have done needs to be followed up by American, Iranian, and it would seem to me researchers in a great many countries because the implications of the scope of the activities that we're going into really could not be exaggerated. Two things that we have to say, this uh, areas that we are talking and presentation that is being made, we are going to be discussing this subject, actually I think that if the time permits, maybe in two parts. The, uh, the first part is some of the things that we are talking about, uh, and the last part, which is going to be the conclusion of the uh, study that I have done and the research that I have done, which it was made with the hope that uh, I'm going to publish a book, and this is the hidden story behind the Iranian hostage crisis, which are called Revolution Betrayed. And during that time, I think that would be the conclusion that what all of this means for us today. And by that time, when I would make the final presentation, I would have a very, very big surprise that I would make a presentation at that time. But going back to what you said about the Iranian uh, popular revolution, we know that by 19, mid-1970s and through 1976, all the way to 1977, there was uh, the popular revolution against the Shah's regime in Iran. Now, in July 1977, according to John D. Stemple, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research in Washington and the CIA uh, station in Iran and the political section, they made a 10-page research and a study that, according to him, this research was sent on July of 1977 to the United States. Now, why this is important? Because we know that in August of 1977, the famous... CIA study was done for President Carter that concluded that there is no trouble in Iran and the Shah is going to rule Iran through 1980s. And they didn't see any significant changes in the political atmosphere of Iran. However, what is significant is that in this study that it was presented in July 1977, it says, quote, both the diplomatic mission and the Bureau of Intelligence and Research in Washington had sing, sing, uh, signaled that trouble was ahead. A 10-page analysis of opposition written by embassy political section in July 1977 correctly identified Bakhtiar, Bazakan, Khomeini, and Beheshti as major actors in a drama that began unfolding a year later. Close quote. Okay, now this is in July of 77, and it is in August of that month that Jimmy Carter is assured that the Shah has smooth sailing. That's correct. At, at this point, the CIA is still in the possession, obviously is in possession of information developed during the Ford administration and during George Bush's tenure as CIA director, uh, going all the way back to the information provided to Richard Helms that, in fact, the Shah has cancer, that his demise is imminent, 
And this against the background of a search, a development program by the U.S. intelligence community to find a sufficiently anti-communist successor to, to the Shah. That's correct. But the question here is to be asked, is how did Stemple know that? When the President Carter did not receive this information later, and they are talking about four individuals of two, one Ayatollah Khomeini was in Iraq in exile, and Ayatollah Beheshti was unknown relatively in comparison to many other grand Ayatollahs in Iran. He was unknown, and he was nobody. And then we talk, they are talking about Mehdi Bazargan, who became the first provisional government of Iran under Khomeini, and prior to that, Shapur Vakhtia was the last premier of Iran under the Shah. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that it is puzzling here, that how could anybody in July 1977, while Khomeini was living quietly in Iraq, that he would be allowed to leave on October 6, 1978, and become the Iran's absolute political religious leader in 1979? Khomeini was in Iraq at this period? Of course. Fascinating, because I know he was in Paris throughout much of his exile. At that time, Mm -hmm. Khomeini left Iraq in October 6th, 1979. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about uh, July 1977. Mm -hmm. Now, why this is significant? Because Beheshti was an Islamic fundamentalist ideologue with a PhD in theology. Mm -hmm. He was an advocate of eye for an eye school of justice. Mm-hmm. He was well-connected to Savak and well-connected to CIA, and was, according to Gary Sick, I, I'm quoting him because he has written this in his book in October Surprise, this is one of the handful Khomeini's trusted associates. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Ayatollah Beheshti here. That's correct. Now, Ayatollah Beheshti very secretly, right during the height of the Iranian revolution in September, 1978, he comes and visits Ibrahim Yazdi in uh, Texas, and that was unknown to many people. And the excuse that was given that he was over here to meet some of the future members of the Islamic Republican Party that he was going to form, and that party was not formed till four days after the first hostage-taking in February 14, 1979, which four days later the party was formed, which it was 18th of February 1979. So at that time when he visited the United States, the party was not even formed. And so this, uh, the Ayatollah Beheshti visits Ibrahim Yazdi in Texas in October of 78? In September 1978. In September of 78, and the Ibrahim Yazdi, an individual about whom we will have more to say later, right. was, was who exactly, for the benefit he, of the audience? Ibrahim Yazdi, from mid-1975, in the United States, was known to be as Khomeini's sole representative in the United States, who was in contact with Professor Richard Cotton at Pittsburgh University. He's an interesting man. Richard Cotton was at the CIA Iran desk during the 1953 CIA coup in Iran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, significantly, that's uh, to be brought up here, is that the role that he played during the uh, Khomeini's rise to power from uh, summer of 1978 to 
January, first week of January of 1979. Having had a contact with Ibrahim Yazdi, according to former president of Iran, Bani Saad, he said that when he was doing all these things and having a contact with Yazdi, he was not working for President Carter. Now, what is the significance of that? Mr. Richard Cotton was the first Iranian, I mean, I'm sorry, American that visited Khomeini in August 1978 in uh, Iraq, in the city of Najaf. Soon after he visited Khomeini in Iraq, few things happened. Number one, one of the uh, theaters in the southern part of Iran, in the province of Khuzestan in Abadan, was burned with all the occupants while they were watching the movie in it. 700 750 people were burned to death. And this is in what month? It was in August of 1978. Okay. The same month that Richard Cotton visited Khomeini in Iraq. And Cotton was uh, formally in the of the CIA desk in Iran at the time of the overthrow of Mossadegh. That's correct. Okay. Now, it is very fascinating that in the month of August, also other disturbances broke in the city of Isfahan when the martial law was called. On the 27th of August, 1978, the uh, uh, Ayatollah Musa Fat, who was one of Khomeini's competitors, all right, outside of Iran, because he was a leader of the Shiite Muslims outside of Iran, who was actually the uh, man that was taken to uh, Libya and he was killed over there. Mm -hmm. Now, one other significant thing here is that in September 8, 1978, soon after the August, a major disturbance broke out in Iran where, when many people were brutally butchered by the Shah's army, and is known as the Black Friday or the Jale Square Massacre. On September 8th of 78. 78. Okay. The next day, President Carter, who was in Camp David, under pressure by Cyrus Vance and Brzezinski, calls the Shah of Iran, asks the Shah, uh, the, 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 he talks to him, and he would express his support for the Shah's regime, emphasizing that he should continue his quote-unquote democratization in Iran. This at the same time as the Shah is conducting brutal massacres of That's his political correct. opponents. Okay. Now, what is interesting here is, on the 10th or 11th of September, Richard Cotton calls Gary Sick. Now, this is in accordance to Gary Sick, and he has expressed this in his book, All Fall Down that he received a call from Richard Cotton stating that he wants to have a meeting arranged, a, di a discreet meeting arranged between Ibrahim Yazdi, who was uh, one of the leaders of the Islamic Student Association in United States. And this has got, by the way, nothing to do with the Iranian Student Association, which it was completely a different organization. Mm -hmm. Wanted to meet with Gary Sikh as a representative of Khomeini. Now, understanding that many of Khomeini's supporters were killed during that Jolly Escort massacre, this would have been 
a political suicide for Khomeini. Hmm? What is interesting about this? Because Gary Sikh declines and tells Mr. Uh, Richard Cotton that this meeting is not going to take place. Soon after that, Ibrahim Yazi goes to Europe, he goes to Bonn, Paris, and England, and then he was told not to go and join Khomeini in Iraq because he may be arrested. Now, early part of October 1978, Ibrahim Yazdi is in Iraq. According to Gerisik, he receives an urgent call from Richard Cotton that for the first time he learns that Khomeini has been forced out of Iraq. That is, between 2nd or 3rd of uh, October 1978. And this is at the time when Ibrahim Yazdi is visiting Khomeini in right. Iraq. Okay. in Iraq. And it's with him. He was told, Gerisik, he was told that Khomeini is stranded at the border between Iraq and Kuwait. He cannot be let into Kuwait because the Kuwaitis refused to permit him to go in and he cannot go back to Iraq. So Richard Cotton is asking Gary Sick that White House should intervene. Gary Sick says, I quote, there is nothing we could do, close quote. Now, all of a sudden, they are able to go back to uh, Baghdad. And if Carter has not helped them, so the question is, who did? In other words, whereas uh, the last communication was received indicating that uh, from Richard Cotton, Yes. Was indicating that uh, Khomeini, in effect, was a prisoner or a detainee, that he was at the Iraqi-Kuwaiti border, uh, that he could not go, he was not free to go to either country. At at some point in this right. immediate time period, that's correct. Something happened to permit Khomeini or to grant Khomeini uh, relative freedom of access and travel. That's correct. Now, he he was stranded in a no man's land, and what is puzzling here that. The White House, for the first time, learns that Khomeini was forced out of Iraq, hmm. according to Gerisi. Now, we know, and according to uh, Bani said, they were anticipating that they are not going to be let to go to Iraq. And at that point of time, they had three choices to go to uh, Algeria or to go to Syria or to go to Paris. Oh, they being Khomeini and his aides. That's correct. Right. And Khomeini, it was Khomeini that who decides to go to Paris. Now, what is interesting here, that why Khomeini is all of a sudden interested to go to Paris? The important part of this is that in actually November 23rd of 1977, Mm-hmm. Soon after, I mean, the 15th of November of that year, as we know, Shah of Iran and his wife, Empress Farah, they visited Carter in the White House. And we all remember that there were uh, tear gas dropped and they were all, you know, in tears. And uh, that was soon after the 31st of October, which the Halloween massacre took place when uh, Carter fired 820 of the covert operatives at the CIA. Right. This is when Carter cleaned Shackley Kleins et al. out of CIA. Got On it. the 23rd of November, Khomeini's elder son mysteriously was killed in Iraq. 
and the blame was put on the uh, uh, Sabak and the Shah. Mm -hmm. In that month, unknown to many Iranians, one of the uh, loyal readers of the French newspaper Le Monde has put the ad in Le Monde newspaper thanking all the people that have sent him the messages of condolences for his son. And that individual was Ayatollah Khomeini. Okay, so in, this, in November of 77, Le Monde, the French paper, has an ad taken out by Khomeini thanking people who have sent him condolences about his son's assassination. Was that in Iraq? Uh, yes, in the city of Najaf. Okay. Now, what is interesting about that? In that message, he also concludes in the Le Mans newspaper that he is asking the army to liberate Iran and he asks all the Iranian intellectuals and opposition to the Shah to continue their struggle against the Shah and he also asks all the good Muslims to do the same. Now, this is 1977. Mm -hmm. Now, what we find out that Late December 1977, President Carter pays a visit to the Shah in Iran when he spends a night in Iran on the New Year's Eve, and he called Iran the island of stability under the Shah's regime. Mm -hmm. Now, on January 7th, 1978, all of a sudden, an article is published in the Iranian newspaper. In that article, they, who, who, this article, by the way, was ordered by uh, Hossein Fardust from the palace, and the article was prepared by the Minister of Information, uh, a man named Darish Homayun, which he says that he did not. Oh, just one sec, Farah. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, Hossein Fadus, now this is the same fellow who was the school chum of Richard Helms and the Shah, and who was running a an elite Iranian intelligence group, even above the Savak, and he was the individual who informed Richard Helms of the Shah's cancer back in 74. He is involved in getting an article published in the Iranian papers. That's, he ordered that to be published. And this article did what? Defamed Khomeini, telling that Khomeini, Khomeini's origin is from India and he is a puppet of the British colonialism and that when the article was actually going to be forced to be uh, published in the daily newspaper Etalad, uh, I investigated this we found out that the order came directly from palace and it came directly from Hossein Fadus to be published the question at the paper was that if we publish this article is going to inflame the religious people in the city of Rome where uh, Khomeini originally was from. I mean, not from there, but he was a station over there till 1963. Now, one issue over here, which we must also uh, emphasize, is that Khomeini at this time, he's in Iraq. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. You can subscribe to the comments posted on the SpitfireList.com website, most of them by a brilliant contributing editor who uses the moniker Terra Fractal specializing, but by no means exclusively, in economic and financial matters. 
Before we uh, go back to Khomeini, I'm not clear about the this What is the, the significance in this scenario of this article that Fadust has had uh, published? Because this was a dirty trick that it was played, and this is very typical of the CIA planting an article mm -hmm. to inflame the situation because what this did, it brought the religious phenomena to the Iranian revolution and this is how that the fundamentalists they got on a bandwagon in the Iranian revolution. Uh -huh. According So basically what you're saying, excuse me for interrupting far, this was this article in a sense functioned as a provocation and projected the Islamic fundamentalists into the core of the Iranian revolution. That's exactly right. Okay. Now on December twenty ninth, nineteen seventy eight, Khomeini was actually interviewed by Dr. Algar who is a professor at Berkeley University, and he was asked, why, in your opinion, has the Islamic movement of Iran reached a climax this year? Now, that is December 29, 78. And Khomeini replies, I quote, there are, of course, various causes that I do not wish to mention, in addition to the reactions arose by the certain newspaper article. Now, this is Khomeini talking. Mm -hmm. The religious scholars of Guam, the city of uh, holy city of Guam, rose up in protest, and the government sought a confrontation with them, so the Muslim people joined the protest of their leaders, and the massacre ensued. These events were followed by commemorative assemblies 40 days after the death of martyrs. These in turn produced further martyrs and further commemorative gatherings. Now, the significant, again, of these things are that many of the findings of the American uh, embassy in Tehran supports also what Khomeini has said because it brought the religious phenomena in Iran to the surface and from then on Khomeini became the household word in Iran. Now, we know that from the beginning of 1978, Le Monde published close to about 250 some numbers of articles of which 64 of them were talking about the disturbances and the riots in Iran about 40 of them about Savak now Khomeini in May of 1978 was the first time man that was interviewed by Lamont and during that interview Khomeini stated that we would not cooperate and collaborate with the Marxist even to overthrow the Shah's regime. This is May of 78, a month after and George, George Bush. Bush, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, the three stooges of the world new, I mean the world new New World Order. Right. Right. They, they are in Iran again uh, as, quote, private citizens, unquote. It should be noted that by 1980, uh, they, all three people, Reagan and Bush in the United States and Thatcher in Britain, came to power and they represented uh, the cornerstones of the new, extremely militant anti Soviet policy and the rollback or liberation theory of fighting the Cold War, which was to precipitate events all over the globe, including in the Middle East. Yes. Okay. Now, 
one thing that we have to talk about here is that what really was the philosophy of these two completely separate, at least appears between the George Bush's loyalist and the Khomeini fundamentalist. The rise of the Islamic fundamentalists to power and the creation of the Islamic Republic of Iran were the key factors in confronting the left and preventing Soviet domination in the Persian Gulf. Okay, why don't we... Let's talk about the strategic elements, the strategic reasons behind the CIA's support of the Islamic fundamentalist movement as it applies to Iran, and then then eventually we will move into how this all the implications this had for the United States, because what we're really looking at is a policy which had tremendous strategic overtones and political consequences, both in, the, in Iran and the Middle East and in the United States proper. But again, as you pointed out, Farah, and as we are examining, these two supposed opposites, and during the 1980s, American popular political culture had it that we were uh, bitterly opposed to the Islamic fundamentalist government of Iran, and uh, Khomeini got a lot of mileage uh, about bashing the great Satan. Then, of course, uh, the Iran-Contra scandal broke, and it turned out that we were in bed with some of these, the United States, that is, was in bed with some of these same elements, uh, but still that this was an attempt to bring moderates to power. And what we are examining in this discussion, and what I am looking at in this archive show that I'm doing, is the relationship, the pattern of cooperation between the Reagan-Bush factor of the, the U.S. intelligence community and of the Islamic fundamentalist movement and the very terrorists that we are told we are have to work against. So let's let's talk about the strategic implications and the underlying reasons for this alliance as it applies to Iran, first of all. Okay. Now, one thing that uh, it is, of course, uh, we have discussed this earlier, is that the basic objective that they had in Iran was to uh, have the communist free Iran, to keep Iran strategically intact and communist free mm-hmm. by installing Khomeini's fundamentals in power. The second we have talked about to install the favorite son, George Bush. Hmm? That, that would be in the United States. That's correct. Right. The larger context of the hostage crisis was actually the phony uh, Islamic revolution that dubbed, it was dubbed by the, the the revolution that was the legitimate offspring of the alliance, the Islamic Revolution, mm-hmm. as it manipulated the entire Iranian revolution process in the late 1970s, and particularly from 19 beginning of 1978, which it was after the publication of that article. The Islamic Revolution was a, actually a classic pickpocket routine by means of a, kind of a timely coup d'etat which Khomeini's uh, people, guided by the Spook Network or by the George Bush's loyalists, stole the popular revolt against the Shah from those who actually waged it and fought for it. So in May of 78, this was when the, the Khomeini had his first published article published in the French press? In uh, Yes, in Le Mans. And uh, this is a month after Thatcher, Bush, and Reagan are in Iran, and Khomeini has an article published saying that he would not work with the left even to overthrow the Shah, of course, that is music to the ears of the U.S. and the, the, what you call the spook network, uh, George Bush, Ronald Reagan, at all. Now, in paragraph 7 of the circular letter, you say, In early October of 1978, 
The agents for Bush covert team brought Khomeini back to Iran from a 14-year exile in Iraq, stopping off in Paris, France, for a four-month Western media blitz. Right. Now, this is prior to the first of the embassy takeovers. That's correct. Now, how did that happen? In uh, We talked about a man, Professor Richard Cotton. Mm-hmm. Richard Cotton visited Ayatollah Khomeini in... Uh, Paris on December 28, 1979. Now, in 78, I'm sorry. Now, during this visit, there were certain things that it was actually outlined. What was the uh, Khomeini's philosophy? He said that he believes that Khomeini uh, group has a good control of the street mobs and all oppositions have agreed that they have to continue disorder but that will open a way for communist organization to play a greater role now this is very interesting here it was stated that overwhelming majority of Cotton's educated contacts in Iran regarded Khomeini as reactionary now this is in Cotton's report of 19 December 28, 1978. According to Cotton, mm-hmm. he says this misrepresents Khomeini and his view, which Cotton feels is much more liberal. Cotton, this is a quote, Cotton felt part of this false perception was due to conscious decision by Ibrahim Yazdi and Khomeini not to emphasize link with Mossadegh. Now, this is the Mossadegh that in 1953 was overthrown by the CIA coup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this is... Uh, what what link were they de-emphasizing here but with Mossadegh? I'm, I'm not clear on that. Well, because what they are trying to do is that to say that they are a new breed of people Mm-hmm. that they are coming to power and they would like to disassociate themselves with Mossadegh, who was a secular member of Iranian society. Mm-hmm. Ibrahim Yazdi believed in the same philosophy of the fundamentalist rule of Iran, which he wanted to have the Islamic government in Iran. So to disassociate themselves from Dr. Mossadegh was to make the CIA and the people at the CIA happy because Dr. Mossadegh was called a man that whose support came from the left. Right. Okay, I, now I understand. Okay, now, mm-hmm. I would quote here something very interesting by a man who was George Bush's close friend and the former CIA deputy director, Dr. Reyes Klein, who in 1988, uh, 1980, helped to rally the intelligence community behind Bush's candidacy. And this is something that, by the way, for the benefit of the listeners, we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about this at greater length next week. Go ahead, Farah. Okay. Now, this man talks about a 1953 coup. Hmm? Okay. He says, which overthrew Mossadegh and brought the Shah back to power. He says, a covert operation so successful that it became widely known all over the world was carried out in Iran. The Shah then, very young, had been driven out of Iran by his left-leaning premier, Mohammad Mossadegh, whose support came from a local communist, the Tudor party, 
and from the Soviet Union. The CIA mounted a modest effort under skillful clandestine services, services officer who flew into Iran, hired enough-the-street demonstrators to intimidate those working for Mossadegh, instruct Iranian military men loyal to the Shah how to take over and pave the way for Shah's triumphal return. He continues, CIA did not have to do very much to topple Mossadegh, who was an eccentric and a weak political figure. It was a unique case of supplying just the right bit of marginal assistance in the right way at the right time. Such is the nature of covert political action. Close quote. Okay. Hmm? Now, we know that the man that was conducting all this for your uh, listeners uh, was a man whose name was Kermit Roosevelt, who was the grandson of Theodore Roosevelt, the man in charge of this covert operation, codenamed Ajax. And uh, his nickname, by the way, was Kim. Kermit right. Kim Roosevelt. Right. right. The original proposal for Ajax came, according to Kermit Roosevelt, that's what he said, the original proposal of Ajax came from British intelligence after all effort to get Mossadegh to reverse his nationalization of Anglo-Iranian oil company had failed. So it wasn't because he was leftist, because he was not. His support didn't come from Soviet Union. So this is complete disinformation about Dr. Mossadegh. Right. Okay. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So now we hear what Richard Cotton talks about, that CIA coup. According to Richard Cotton, it's a quote, who by this time was working for CIA, this is 1953, who was in charge of the CIA Iran desk, the Rashidian brothers, they were, who were the British agents, quote, saw the opportunity and sent people that we, means the CIA and Cotton, had under control into the street to act as though they were today, which is was the Communist Party of Iran. Mm -hmm. They were more than just provocateurs. They were shock troops who acted as if they were to the people, throwing rocks at mosques and priests. Close quote. Then the man that who has written a book is Brian Lapping in a book called the, the End of Empire. He goes on to say the purpose was to frighten the majority of Iranians into believing that the victory for Mossadegh would be a victory for Tudor Party, which is Communist Party, and the Soviet Union, and irreligious or irreligion or non-believers. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. All of Dave Emery's 36 years of work is available for download on the SpitfireList.com website. The site includes many articles not included in the programs, as well as a small library of old anti-fascist books. All of the material on the website is available for free. Sister station WFMU is podcasting the For the Record programs. To subscribe to the podcast, use the link at the top of the description for this program or on the front page. And, and so the... The alliance, the affinity between the CIA and the Islamic fundamentalists actually has its roots going all the way back to the coup of 1953. That's correct. In, no. which, in which the Islamic fundamentalists were seen as a bulwark against uh, secular communism. That's correct. Go now, ahead. one thing is to be mentioned over here for the benefit of your listeners, that another man that who was very instrumental in the... Seeing that this school would be successful was the father of General Norman Schwarzkopf. That at the time, for six years, he was the head of Iranian gendarmerie and he helped to implement this coup. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. There was another man that was involved, which was Richard Cotton. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, what is significant, and this is going now, we are focusing more on the people that they played very important role at the CIA, you know, the 1953 CIA uh, coup. After the 1953 CIA coup, CIA needed a backup leader, just in case. So what they did, they installed General Valley, it's V-A-L-I, and the last name is Karani. It's different spelling for that. One is Q-A-R-A-N-I, and another one is G-H-A-R-N-I, mm -hmm. as the Iran's chief military intelligence. By the way, it should be noted, too, that Mossadegh was replaced by a fellow named Fazola Zahedi, right. who had been a German intelligence agent during World War II. That's correct, and he helped. He was helping the Nazis, and he was in jail in Egypt till after the war was over. Right. Now, he married, uh, am I correct, Farah? He married a member of the Shah's family. No, his son, Adish Zahedi, that who became the... Uh, Iran's uh, ambassador to Washington, and sometimes he was the foreign minister, and then later on he became the, uh, I believe, the uh, Iranian ambassador to uh, United Nations, and then during all the uh, late 70s, he was the Iranian flamboyant playboy ambassador to uh, United States and at the Iranian embassy in Washington. Oh, so he married. It was he, his That's son, correct. not he who married a member he of the Shah's family. He married the Shah's daughter. Okay. General Garani, in 1958, with the knowledge of and approval of John Foster Dulles, attempted a coup against the Shah. Okay. Now, there is a study done, interesting, by a professor named Mark J. Gezwarski, I believe is J A S I O R O W S K I. Now, he is actually the professor at the Louisiana State University. In his study, uh, there is a fascinating part that he says. I am quoting from his research that he's done. He says, reflecting the growing U.S. concern about the popular unrest, an officer. In the Tehran, CIA station was authorized to carry out certain limited covert operations in this period de designed to encourage the Shah to implement reforms. This officer undertook the le at least two such operations. The first was a series of propaganda activities in which CIA authorized and authored articles aimed at promoting reform were granted in Iranian newspaper. See, this is in 1958 he's talking about. Now, remembering the article that was planted in the Iranian newspaper on the 7th of January 1978, mm -hmm. it brings a lot of things to light. Hmm? In the second operation, this officer introduced New York Times reporter Sam Pope Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R, to several members of the National Resistance Movement and National Front. National Resistance Movement is that LMI we're talking about. Hmm? Okay. When uh, Liberation Movement of Iran, which Ibrahim Yazdi was a member, and uh, the founder of that was Mehdi Bazar Khan, who became the provisional government of Iran during Khomeini. Okay. And National Front, and encouraged him to write an article about unrest in Iran. The article, which appeared in early 1958, charged that repression, corruption, and equality were widespread 
and uh, this content had become so extensive that it was now dangerous for the internal security and the stability of the Middle East. The CIA officer made certain Sabak knew he was behind the Brewer efforts so that the Shah would understand that the United States was serious about promoting reform. Okay, th this in order to, pre to forestall a revolution against the Shah, which would throw open the whole U.S. strategic situation there of using Shah as an anti-communist bulwark. Right. Okay. So now they are going after him. Now, in 1958, with the knowledge of Johnson, Foster Dallas, he was the coup, and that was discovered by the British MI6, and they informed the Shah, and then General Gadani instead of being put in front of the firing squad because the CIA supported him and the United States was behind him, he was only sentenced to three years in jail. Okay. Now, one thing that we also know is this, that in 1963, in June of 1963, when there was an uprising, and that is the time that Khomeini's name came to surface, there was another episode in the history of Iran that is unknown, and nobody has touched on that. And to me, most of the one-eye experts in Iranian history have failed to mention that during that time, General Ghadani also had another coup plan against the Shah, this time with the knowledge of President John F. Kennedy. As we know, that there was not much love between Kennedy and the Shah, and when actually, in fact, when Kennedy was assassinated, the former chief of Sabak, General Parkravan, had stated that, can you believe this Shah? When he re received the news of Kennedy's death, he asked for a drink to celebrate. Right. Uh, that same sentiment was shared by a great many uh, people in the United States, including that faction of the CIA that eventually came to be headed by George Bush. There remain some uh, very serious and unresolved questions about the possibility not only of George Bush's participation in the CIA uh, way before he supposedly joined it, but uh, his name even crops up in connection with the investigation into Kennedy's death That's in, in a no. number of different uh, capacities. But again, Farrell Mansour from AFA program number 38, recorded in January of 1930, uh, 1993. Uh, we are going to continue with our analysis of what I call the Deep October Surprise in our next program. This concludes for the record program number 898. Before I wrap it up, though, uh, please do use the description for this program. I think it will prove even more important than the written descriptions for other shows due to the complex nature of the material and the fact that many of the Iranian names are foreign to the American linguistic palette. This concludes for the record program number 898. Farah Mansour on the Deep October Surprise, Part 3, being recorded on March 30th of 2016. I'm Dave Emery. Ciao.